Hey City of Champions, what's going on? I'll keep the intro real short this week because I know you're all dying to hear from the man of the hour. I'm incredibly thrilled to announce my guest this week, fresh off the first half of his 2018 tour, where he's already broken the Canadian record for number of tour dates in a year. The drinking, cussing, fishing, and ridiculously likable man himself, Brett Kissel. is that we haven't seen someone that young come in and dominate the way that he's dominated and Crosby did to a degree and Crosby is, is an amazing yeah. athlete but this guy has as immediately from entering the National Hockey League has become one of the greatest athletes of all uh, all all sport mm-hmm. yeah at living today and playing today yeah that he's in the same conversation he's dominating the National Hockey League the same way that LeBron James Dom, Dom is dominating basketball the same way that Whoever just pick a basketball player, or pick a baseball player, pick a football yeah. player, a star it, like Rafael Nadal, David, you know, mm-hmm. all these guys like Roger Federer. He is, and in one of the only sports that is not an individualistic sport, yeah. right? Yeah. A basketball player can take over an entire game, right? A, f- a good quarterback can run the game, yeah. you know, um, you know, anything like that. Golf obviously is completely solo. Yeah. Other than yeah. soccer and and hockey, I mean, hockey. You see, uh, you see Malkin's goal last night. Oh yeah. He goes end to end and just backhand shelf. Yeah. That was just a shit kicking. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I, and I think that Philly is such weak goaltending mm-hmm. that <clears throat> they're going to be gone. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> Vancouver and Boston, and just when Luongo's head was when he was on, he yeah. was on, he was unstoppable. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as they got in his head, as soon as he went to the gardens every time, yeah. it was just game. <clears throat> it was yeah. Do you want a donut? Uh, maybe. Humble donut? <laughs> yeah, I'll take a humble. They're, they're not the colors because they didn't have them, but they assured me that it was still all proceeds. Yeah. Went That's to fine. The, well, you know what? Speaking of which, I'm going to uh, uh, t- take the Canadian maple. Nice. Uh, I, you no, know what? I, uh, I got the one. I thought you'd take Canadian maple. Well, thank I had you. No I had no idea because I would never order that normally. Really? Mm-hmm. I love Canadian maple. Oh, I'm not really a donut. Canadian maple or honey crawler? I'm not really a donut. Honey crawlers. Honey crawlers. Old fashioned or sour cream glaze. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the best Timbits. <clears throat> I think the, the sour cream dips are the best Timbits. This podcast is not sponsored, by the way. It's just so no. Subway, <laughs> Tim Hortons, everything. I say the podcast is my my one-man mission to get to know every person in this city. Well, that's really cool. So who <laughs> have you done so far, and then what are the goals? Like, so, uh, what Jamie, do you want to do? Jamie Soleil. Mm-hmm. Um, Doesn't have me on yet. Mike Maxis. <laughs> Well, the only criteria are you have to be, you know, and I, I'm trying to, I was trying to hit people who at least have somewhat of a following just right. so the podcast is. Also, tell me when we want to start rolling. You can go mm-hmm. ahead you and go then ahead. we'll cut in whenever. We get, I mean, we get an hour and a half of tape on here. Yeah, we so, won't. Yeah. We'll <coughs> get to go for that. We, okay, cool. Take as much time because we're kind of starting early, so. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Uh, Jamie Soleil. Just, just so you can keep tabs on our split these screens forward, Shane. Just Perfect. So you know okay. what's going on there. Thank and you. Then, yeah, I'm next door if you need me. Okay. Right. Well, I think Ryan's cool. going to okay. pop in when he's here. You just shut that door if you don't mind. Yep, sure. Thanks, Sam. Um, Jamie Soleil, Adam Braidwood, um, Phil, my buddy Phil from Zimbabwe. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else. It's just like, it's a running how, list. How many have you done? This is 36. Great. Yeah. One, I promised myself one a week for as long as I could. Yeah. Um, until I didn't want to do it anymore. So I'll go at least a year. Yeah. And then we'll see. Well, that's great. I think it's awesome. My my agent is very very intrigued with people who are starting out in in podcasting and the same thing because he he listens to Rogan and Gary Vaynerchuk and stuff like that. He's actually got to know 
Gary quite well and done some stuff with him. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's really, really cool that you're, obviously that you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see what it's obviously going to become as time goes on. Yeah. And I mean, to answer your other question of who would I want to have on, really the only two criteria are someone who is, um, has a really interesting story to tell or doing great things mm-hmm. and is from or somewhat related to the city of Edmonton. Yeah. So Adam Braidwood, who's a boxer, do you know him? No, you know, he's he's got a real tumultuous past and he you know he was drafted first overall by the Eskimos back in 06 okay and then got injured got addicted to opiates and and other drugs and got into gang activities to pay for these drugs um, and then ended up go, like that all culminated in two years of jail time and then he got out professional started professionally boxing and he's I think 10 and one now since then like he won his first Amazing. national title when he was still in a halfway house. He won a national title, best boxer in Canada, heavyweight, and then goes back to his halfway house where he said he, like, not regularly, but every once in a while, see people dead in the hallways from overdosing. And it just, that sounds like a movie to me. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's interesting because you, you look at, and I would assume how, how you grew up, how I grew up, and a lot of people in my circle, your circle, it, it's, it's very difficult to think that that goes on in a country like Canada, but that would be so naive to think that it doesn't because clearly there is that activity and there are those people who are going through those tough times, but what a great lesson and perseverance for him. Absolutely. And what an amazing conversation. I actually, I, I can't wait to hear I'll, that conversation. I'll Please se- send me I'll a send link. that one to you. And I mean, that's what I said to him and I feel about him is the biggest champions always come from the greatest adversity yes. in my mind. All, you know, you go through any any uh, list of, uh, of history mm-hmm. in you know, hundreds of years, you know, a lot of that stuff comes from there. Yeah, it's that one thing, it's like the one positive from when you hit rock bottom, and I mean, rock bottom's always perspective-wise, right. it can be different for mm-hmm. everyone. You yeah. can say this is my rock bottom, but really rock bottom is like death, I suppose, mm-hmm. and you can't rebound from that one. But you know, the farther gap you have to make up, that just is all the more admirable and incredible. Yeah. So he was a really good one, really interesting one. Jamie Soleil was fantastic. Yeah, she's, she's as cool as they, yeah. as they get. She's And the ultimate professional too is, is a great athlete and a great person, just human being. Yeah. And then in the figure skating realm, I also talked to uh, Caitlin Osman okay. a week before she went to Italy and yeah. won the world championship, awesome. which is pretty cool because she was all excited about it yeah. and, and a little nervous. Well, it's great that you can capture those things. So you look at Caitlin obviously going right before Italy and then you look at Jamie with, with her amazing career obviously in in the hype that came from 2002 Mm -hmm. and what happened in the olympics there i got to know jamie and and david too through uh her old former manager Mm -hmm. uh bob stedward i'm not sure if you remember also a guest on the show he's been yeah well, see, that's awesome. So Dr. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't blame you. You've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, but I'll send you the link to Bob's as well. I'd love that. Very she was much. one of my favorite conversations. Oh, and it's a the more time you spend with him, the more you realize just how friggin' cool the guy is, yeah. and how many things that he's he's done. Like he's been. I think he's been to, what are there, 180 some countries in the world? Is that true, 140? Yes, I think like 165, okay. right there. So he's been to like over 100 countries. <laughs> and with his time on the on the IOC mm-hmm. and the International Paralympic Committee, yeah. like he's my go-to, my international friend would say, hey Bob, I'm going to I'm going to France, what should I do? Oh, well you need to go here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Hey Bob, I'm gonna go to Belgium, what should I do? Hey Bob, I'm going to the Philippines, what should I do? Oh, do this. <laughs> 
he's one of the coolest guys. And and known. to do that with almost zero recognition, like globally, right? Like yeah. it, on those stages, in those circles, yeah, he's got great recognition. Yeah. But like the average person hasn't heard his name. He never once did it for the fame, the yeah. glory, any of that. And to help so many disabled people achieve yeah. their dreams is just like such an incredible feat. And you know, and that's that's a true testament to this city of Edmonton and maybe the call it the unsung heroes mm-hmm. of this community i mean he was top top 100 uh, edmontonians during the centennial top 100 albertans and stuff like that but he's got a steadward center but how many others are there right. that are making a gigantic difference in alberta and in edmonton that mm-hmm. that aren't as famous as some of the other people yeah well so what did what did he do for you back in the day was he a, like a manager or a- he was it was my second the second manager I ever had the first manager I ever had was Danny Hooper Mm -hmm. and Danny is you know an amazing entertainer and great personality he taught me a lot of great things Um, I just needed someone who's going to be more full time so that's where Bob Stedward came in Mm -hmm. so Dr. Bob I would meet at CVS Controls here in Edmonton and I in Lyle Kurtz's office and Bob would help me make game plans and, and, and a list of goals and it was at that time where my mom, who's very involved in my career, said, um, you should, you know, why don't you manage Brett, Bob? And I said, mm. Bob, why don't you manage me? And he said, well, like every good man, he says, we'll have to check with my wife. <laughs> because I think you've just retired. And yeah. it's time with Jamie and David had just kind of come to an end. And <clears throat> I think he wants to spend more time with his grandkids and go hunting and uh, do stuff with rodeo. So that's where we were able to convince Bob to manage me and he managed me from I think 2006 to 2010 and the best best five years they were just so special so he did manage me my agent my manager and my accountant too so he taught me about finances (laughs) he taught me about everything Mm -hmm. and there's so many things I learned from Bob that I practice today now in 2018 uh, give him significant credit he said he, he um one thing he said about you is that uh well he said a few things but one thing he said to bring up is the fact that uh he tried to help you stop speeding so much in your truck um, uh, he tried but it didn't <laughs> I, and that was that's what happens i mean you're you know you're 16 you get your license you, you why go 100 kilometers when you can go a buck 40 right right and so that that was the thing so we um and then he also had a I would get a lot of from the city of Edmonton a lot of parking tickets because I just didn't believe in plugging the meter or I'd plug the meter and then I'd wind up staying overnight at Cecilia's house my, mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time who later became my wife and yeah. just stay overnight and, and get all these $50 tickets mm-hmm. and uh so yeah, that was one thing he tried to get so, under control. So so you grew up in Flat Lake and when did you move to Edmonton? Uh the day after graduation. Oh okay, you got right out Literally, of Literally. <laughs> so I graduated on Friday interesting story Friday I graduated and then um, I, I partied all night mm-hmm. and that then at, at the after grad it was five in the morning my dad picked me up and dr. Bob in my <laughs> Brett Kissel truck sponsored from driving no. force, the Brett Kissel on the side <laughs> and so they picked me up in that it was a 2008 GMC Sierra three-quarter ton diesel and I was hungover and I slept in the back seat and we drove all the way up to Grand Prairie where mm-hmm. I played Bud Country and I played that festival on Saturday. That would have been like June 29th. Then Sunday, June 30th, I drove back to St. Paul where for um, grad, my mom and dad bought me luggage. Or my, and, and they also packed all my things. <laughs> it was literally it was packed, it was right, waiting in the garage. And Sunday night, 
I drove into St. Albert, where I lived for one year with Jackie Ray. Jackie Ray Greening from CFCW. She took me and I lived in her basement. That's amazing. So I literally graduated <laughs> on Friday. I moved out on Sunday, June 30th or whatever that date was. Yeah. And I haven't been home to live since. And played a show in between those two things. Played a show. Hung over as hell. I, I wore my tuxedo on stage. <laughs> I swear to God, I did. Slept in it, wore it on Slept stage. Slept in it, worn it. I didn't I didn't throw up, I don't think. How'd you play? Um, I might have still been drunk. I don't really remember much about the show. Yeah. Um, I But I do remember doing shots with my band to celebrate my graduation, a few mm -hmm. other artists that were there, mm -hmm. and the boys from the band Lone Star. They all came backstage, because we all had those Atco trailers backstage. Brought some of the boys from the band Lone Star, and uh, there we were doing uh, shots of what my guitar player at the time, Clint Pelche, called the Prince Albert Special, which was a shot of whiskey followed by a chaser of pickle juice. And uh, so a pickleback, yeah, yeah, a pickleback, which is yeah, which is now in in many bars, but yeah, but the Prince Albert Prince special. Albert special. <laughs> so that must have to you seemed like the pinnacle. Like you're like I'm a rock star now, hundred percent. And and I I think things have probably changed a little bit since then. Well, yeah. Now now you realize that that the real good moments in music aren't, and this is all materialistic, but it isn't necessarily drinking picklebacks or whatever backstage at when you're playing the festival at, at 1 p.m. where nobody's in the crowd and nobody cares about you. Right. The real pinnacle is now playing the great arenas or headlining the festivals. Mm -hmm. and, and remembering that, them. And remembering them. <laughs> and or have to, having to be conscious because I always thought that we'd really celebrate and party um, after headlining these big festivals. But now you play one on Friday, then you gotta fly because you're gonna play another one on Saturday, then you gotta fly, you gotta do another one on Sunday. So our parties are actually few and far in between because uh, you're tr we're traveling so much these days. Right, and you just got off a plane and came straight here, which yeah. I'm very much appreciative for. My pleasure. Out in Vancouver, what was uh, what brought you out there? Uh, I was meeting with my business managers, and we were talking about, or we were that song tour. We we're just going over budget and what would have been accomplished in probably a hundred emails. I just got on a flight and we we sat down for an entire day, mm -hmm. and we just went line by line and just really organized where these expenses went and it was important because when you're in the heart of the tour and money's coming in and money's going out at the end you know I, I looked at quite frankly the mistakes that I made and the places where I overpaid right um, and the the things that I did wrong so that when we uh, start the tour up again mm -hmm. and we do it uh, at the end of 2018 uh, I know exactly what I'm not gonna do right and then again you know what I'm gonna keep doing or start doing to make things better what are you overspending on are you like blowing stuff up on stage you got big pyrotechnics or, or is it the boring things <laughs> it's it's the boring things two it's, ply uh, instead of one ply like <laughs> well it's for me a, lo a lot of it was flights if I was smarter to think you know to so what I did is I I flew spouses out to be a part of um, a part of the tour with my band members I would also fly myself on certain days off to, um, you know, with my family to a different location where we could spend uh, extra time. Uh, nothing against the community of, you know, Thunder Bay, Ontario or mm -hmm. um, Brandon, Manitoba, but if we could spend that time in Winnipeg or a city where we can do more things, right. that's what we did. So as flights, um, I overspent on flights because instead of flying somebody from a remote location like Fort St. John, BC, if I'd have just waited a day, mm -hmm. we'd have been in Kelowna, which is... Um, uh, an easier destination, but of course you don't think about that. Right. Uh, but I'll know about that for the next time. And these are things that you probably never thought you'd be thinking of either, right? <laughs> well, uh, but back to Bob Steadward days, like you, you got to be 
on top of all this stuff. And, and in the Canadian music industry, it's not about how much money you make. It's all about how much money you keep. Okay. Because, um, you know, tours and touring and, and, and gross revenue is in the, is at the high end in the low millions or, or in the, like the seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. in, in gross revenue. So, I mean, we are the, some of the biggest Canadian stars are like fourth line grinders in, in the NHL. And right. at any given moment, you're going back to the AHL. Um, it's very, very difficult to get that seven, eight million dollars a year or the Connor McDavid money of whatever it's 12, 13 or 10. Right. I don't know what it is. That doesn't exist in country music unless you break in the United States. Right. So we have to be very conscious because $900,000 sounds like a lot of money. And I'm not saying that that's what I make or I don't make or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just, it's very easy to spend $875,000 yeah. on expenses. Yeah, of course. You have to spend a lot to make a lot, yeah. especially in those big high-risk sort of venues and yes. ventures, right? And, and music is is all about that because you want to put on the best show and sometimes right. that costs money. Right. And you also need to compete because the fan who's going to pay $50 to see me will also pay $50 to see Tim McGraw. Mm-hmm. And he's got millions of dollars worth of budget to put all the bells and whistles mm-hmm. into his show in Edmonton. So when I play in Edmonton, how can I compete? you got to try to walk that fine line. Right. And is there any, do you ever struggle reconciling sort of the creative artistic side and, and then sort of the business side of it? Like... There, the challenge for me is I spend too much time on business and not enough time on creative, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Which, as an artist, I should be thinking a lot more creatively. But my brain doesn't go there. My brain goes to marketing. My brain goes to planning right. the tour and to do what I can to entertain. Whereas I'm really proud that I've got great band and great producers who can help coach me when I'm writing songs or help coach me when I'm recording to make the music compelling. Because, after all, if it's not for the music you can't have the show yeah and you write a lot about your own experiences and I think I think a lot of people look at a country star and they they sometimes think like is that real is that authentic but man like you lived it 100% and I think that's maybe why I've been successful in music is because I'm not making up these stories so that if I am in an interview or if I am on stage and I'm talking about why this song matters to me or why I think this song should Uh, be important to you, the audience, I can talk about that and come from a place of authenticity and something genuinely from my heart, not to be too mushy, but Mm -hmm. that is the great thing about country music, that pop and rock and to a lot of degrees, these guys are creating great melodies, um, but but what does it it really mean? Is there an actually true story uh, to it? Rap, I actually believe, is very authentic. Of course, yeah. Um, These guys are talking about, I did this, I felt this way, I think about this, this is who I am, mm-hmm. take it or leave it. Country music is very similar, right. although the genres are far apart. Right, and so growing up on a cattle ranch as you did, were you were you big into that? Like, Was there a point in your life where you thought you might go into ranching versus music? Uh, there's a point in my life now definitely where I'm <laughs> thinking about getting into ranching because I love that way of life and I miss it so much. But when you're a kid, I think like everybody, or most people, you can't wait to leave. Mm-hmm. I locked horns with my mom so much when I was a teenager. Um, Again, probably similar to many stories, but I couldn't wait to get the hell out of St. Paul, Alberta and go and chase my dreams and go play music. And I got very lucky that I was able to do that. But with that came distance. And although I was very proud of my roots, I wasn't putting my middle finger up to it. But I wanted to get out and play. Now, the more I talk about it in settings like this or in an interview with Hello Canada or the Toronto Star, like, you come from a cattle ranch. Tell us about, are you still there? I'm like, 
I come from a cattle ranch, but right. I haven't chased cattle in years. Right. You know? Well, everyone grows and changes and moved. And yeah. I didn't didn't go unnoticed that you mentioned me in the same breath as those other two people. So I appreciate no, that. No, <laughs> no it's, it's it's no problem. I, I, I respect your upbringing. I always wondered about people who grow up in hockey mm -hmm. because it's a very... It's a very interesting life. It's a very high life, I would assume, and it's something that not a lot of people can relate to. So my kids growing up in music is something that I don't know if a lot of other kids growing up will be able to relate to all the travel that we do and the access. No, for that we sure, have. right? So I've always been interested in talking with other people mm -hmm. about their upbringings because I'm now trying to collect that and take this advice and take it to my kids. So, like, did you live in New York? Uh, no, so at the time, or, or were you always based in Edmonton? So or? I, I, I had a, I had a different upbringing than many people expect. So I grew up with my mom out in Vancouver. Okay, not with my dad. Gotcha. Um, and then when I was one or two, that's when my dad met his current wife, and and so I kind of lived this duplicity of life. Like okay. I grew up with her, like very humble, just sort of only child, single mom. So yeah. I got that aspect of it. But then every like every year, a couple weeks a year, I'd get to go live sort of like with the with my dad's side of the family yeah. and I'd get the four siblings and I got the family, the big family, the hockey, you know, the, the boat on the lake, all those yeah. kind of things. So I, um, I come from a place of, of understanding sort of both sides of that spectrum. And, and I really appreciate it. I would never have wanted it any other way, but people go like, oh, what was it like growing up with a hockey player as a dad? And mm -hmm. you kind of go, well, that's... See, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. You're like, that's all I know. Mm -hmm. You're like, I don't really know anything different. Oh, it's that hard, your parents not being together? Well, no, because I don't remember anything different, right? Yeah. I always felt, you know, empathy for the people whose parents split up when they were anywhere from like nine to fifteen, yeah. like in those real formative years where you're dramatic and the hormones and everything is just seeming like the biggest deal in the world. Yeah. And you see those kids now that, like, you know, if you take on mentor or mentorship roles to these kids, yeah. and um, you want to say, look, none of this shit matters. Yeah. But you also have to let them live it. You have to let them make their own mistakes. For sure, right? and let them <clears throat> let them go through the roller coaster of, of emotions. And mm -hmm. that's there's there are a few things in movies that actually really get me, and that's actually when the when the parents split up and stuff. <laughs> you can see that on the on the kids and when yeah. the love is lost like that. It's it's always difficult. But I think I've always respected the the kids who come out of that mm -hmm. and just don't dismiss it, but chalk it up as, as this was my experience. It's just the way that it was. It's reality. And stuff like that. It's reality. I know people whose parents split up when they were, I think, like 18. Yeah. And it was funny because, like, I came back from my first year of university and my parents were like, yeah, by the way, we're splitting up. And it was like, okay, what? Like, yeah. like no conception of it. But I think, and I think, I really truly believe you're going to see a lot more of this in this day and age is that... Parents are going to stay together, raise the kids, get them to 18, 19, get them out into the world, and then split up just because it's really hard to live that monogamous lifestyle for yeah. your whole life. It takes a lot of commitment and a lot of for sacrifice, sure. right? Well, it, it really does, and uh, no relationship is perfect. And I always wonder, you know, what went down in previous generations? Well, that was a different time. There was no access. There was no other choice. Whereas now I think in this day and age where where the world is so small, I see that there's so many people that have other choices for relationships. If it's not good, the grass actually may be greener on the other side. Often it isn't. Mm -hmm. But I do get why I think it's over now 50%, whatever the statistic is, that relationships don't, don't stay together. But right. I do look at Cecilia, my wife and I, and I believe 
that we do have what it takes to go the distance and the long haul and be that couple that mm-hmm. celebrates 50 years, which actually might be something very, very cool because you fast forward 43 years from now mm-hmm. when we hit 50 yeah. and shit, we might be like the only one of the only people around because it's so popular for for couples to, to split and stuff. Like yeah, that. but I think what's important to realize is that for for all the you know for all the hundreds and thousands of people that split up and it didn't work for them, yeah. there's also that percentage that never split up that should right that that just come to bear yeah. it and they yeah. just never either don't have the courage or think that it's it's blasphemy because we're always we're we're inundated with our previous generation's values right that's right and, it's and you see that in in so many things from marriage to how you raise your children to who you have in your life and you know it's that's such an interesting topic and such an interesting direction to go down because it's in 2018 and beyond, um, I wonder what my kids' generation will be like, and what the norms will be. Because a lot of these things are being, I think, with our generation, you and me, like we're we now have the confidence to stop things that used to be tradition, yeah, and f- make our own, and take the good things out of it, and challenge, um, you know, uh, the status quo, and say, what? Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to? to follow these things. Why do we need to, let's talk about a wedding. Why do we need to invite all these people just because they're a cousin? Or why do I need to get married in a church just because Mm -hmm. everybody did before us? That's not the way that we want to do it. And that's a great thing about our generation Mm -hmm. to a degree. Spend tens of thousands of dollars on these massive parties and or however much on rings that really like didn't mean anything back then, right? Like um, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see where the world's gonna go and um, it's you know your girls might have to, they might have to reconcile the fact that like living under your house until yeah. they grow up and leave that might be the most affluent and best life they ever have yeah. in terms of like like everything's provided yeah. for them but life is struggle right and it, it would it would mean nothing if there weren't a struggle and it would mean mm-hmm. nothing if there weren't an end date to it and you know and that's circling back to country music I think that's that's why I always enjoyed listening to it as much as I did. I mean, I grew up in the setting where where country music was our lifestyle, but it always talked about the struggle. Country music always told a story. And I'm certainly drawn to that. And I think a lot of people, even now, who love love the artists of today, like Florida Georgia Line or Sam Hunt or Thomas Rhett or Luke Bryan, Keith Urban, Country music is still based around the story, and mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with struggle. It's a it's a common thing that everybody goes through. Right, and the artists I think <clears throat> that are able to bridge the gap from sort of the old, but also to the new. Like I remember the first time I heard Brad Paisley's Online. Yeah, and that just blew my mind because I didn't grow up in a very country rich environment in okay. Vancouver. Yeah, right? of course. I still remember it was grade summer after grade eleven, driving out to a yearly hockey festival yeah. out at this guy's ranch in Delta, not ranch, like yeah. acreage in Delta. Yeah. And um, and my buddy who's a goalie, Alex, and he started playing this country music, and I'm like, country man, come on, yeah. like, I never, never listened to this in my life. And he's like, just give it a shot. Like ten minutes in, we're yeah, we're singing, we're yeah. bouncing along, and then like a couple years after that, I heard <clears throat> online, I was like. This is am- this can be country too. Like you yeah. can talk about relevant things that I understand. This sure. is amazing. Well, Brad has been so great at walking that line and introducing the topics of today into uh, obviously his music, and he does it so well because he's such a clever songwriter. Right. Guys, 
he's, he's hilarious. He's a genius. He really is. He's I, funny. There's yeah. so many great lyrics <laughs> in that. You know, it's um, he's even adjusted it a little bit because the original lyrics um, in the late 2000s were. Um, but there's a, a whole lot of me that you need to see when you check out MySpace. Yeah. Where MySpace is like gone. Right. Whereas now when he sings it, he says, when you check out my Facebook page. Oh, interesting. And so he's even adjusted the lyrics like that. But he's got a hilarious song called, uh, I think, the selfie song, hashtag the internet is forever. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny. Like it's, he can do that. But you have to be aware that, you know, some of those songs and some of the lyrics are going to be great for right now. But technology, if you talk anything about technology. Right. It's probably going to be old news. Of course. Um, you know. But what's great about that is nostalgia is one of the strongest elements ever, right? Good point. So when you think back to like, I, the, the album that always stands out to me is Big Shiny Tunes 2. Yes. That is And my Big Shiny Tunes 4. Yeah. I love Because you're two years younger than me. Uh, you're yeah. 90, right? I am. I'm 88. 88. That makes sense, 100%, right? 100%, yeah. I wonder if there's something about that age range where you're like imprinted with whatever yeah. was out at the so time. So what were the big hits on Big Shiny Tunes That was two? Blur, Song 2. Song 2. Um, who else was on that? I got to pull up the list because it's like... Like there's literally four of my all time yeah. most impactful songs. So Blur Song Two, Third Eye Blind, Semi Charm Kind yeah. of Life, uh, Smash Mouth, Walking on the Sun, Yes, Sugar Ray, Fly, Brett Van Dyke or uh, Brand Van Three Thousand, Drinking in L.A. See, I don't remember that song. Um, I'll play it for you later. Matchbox Twenty, Push. Of course. Oh my, we got to put this on. Like yeah. this, is, this will be amazing. And you know what? And it's so great. I love getting together with, with friends, and putting on these tracks yeah. from previous life. You know, it's. Uh, I remember in two thousand and seven, in in grade eleven, uh, when we. I uh, played the teachers in floor hockey in intramurals and we ended up winning like the school championship and I can only imagine what it must be like for guys who actually play hockey because I never <laughs> never did until you know since I was a little little kid yeah but guys are actually part of a team and you win something together I'm talking about friggin floor hockey here and I still reminisce with my buddies we have a group text oh, yeah. and we still go and we still beat the teachers when I go back to St. Paul about how we're the only student team to ever win in like 25 years yeah. and songs from that era just completely take us back to those moments yeah so i mean to that point nostalgia i don't think you ever have to worry about any of that tech stuff getting irrelevant because it's just yeah. like think back to even the songs from that era like 07 08 09 like i think soldier boy and like yeah. 50 cent those songs were so like even yeah. the sound was Flo so like flow rider um, uh, yeah. uh, low nope. apple bottom <laughs> like that i remember going to the wetlander in bonneville alberta mm -hmm. um and uh you know because this is a podcast i can i can say what everybody actually used to call it <laughs> town they didn't call it the wetlander they called it the slutlander nice and we everybody would go and have a but just an amazing party there. It is so much fun getting a chance to play uh, or uh, going a chance to, to just hang out there with your buds. And mm -hmm. and Flo Rida was one of those was one of those songs. That's that unbelievable. Playing. So have you ever done a rap collab? Um, no, but you know I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Well, you've heard Probably Gin and day. Juice, the country version, right? No. Come on. What are you talking about? Are you serious, man? Come on. If I've been living under a rock, well, who did it? I just got to keep a list. It was a bunch of guys. I got to keep a list of things that I need to send you. Um, it was... Let's just play it for you. Okay. After the, uh, after the ad here. 
I'm trying to remember who it was. This is why I need a young Jamie from the Joe Rogan podcast. I need someone to yeah. look stuff up for me for sure. while we're talking. Um, I can't I can't believe you've never heard this. It's like, it's gin and juice with the country twang to it. Was it done by somebody famous? Yep. So much drama in It's kind of hard thing, Snoopy. Does that sound familiar? Trying to remember who it was. I feel like it's listed here as Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Garth Brooks. I Garth would never do that, but that's hilarious. I don't know who did it, but and it goes on for the. That is awesome. So you got it. You got to yeah, do something. Yeah, I, I gotta check that out. If, I, what's one rap song you would do? Um, some by Eminem or maybe uh, D12, Purple Pills. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Which would be the like the opposite of what anybody would think that yeah, I would do. Yeah, of course, but that's shock value. Yeah, it's important. I've been so many places. I've seen so many faces. A little bit of banjo twang. Yeah. Compared you have to, to do this. Yellow purple pills. When does the tour start back up? Uh, in September. We're gonna go to the territories. You can easily have that done by the yeah. September. By I September. wonder if I could who I'd collab with. Yeah. To help. Let's think about this. Or at this. the same time, often you, you've got rap in, in the verses, and then you'll have a melodic chorus. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting collab that I'd love to do with with somebody. You know, um, uh, a, fr- a friend of mine in the business, uh, Cardinello Fashala, and he's. He's excellent. He did a lot of work with Akon. Akon is another yeah. one who's uh, who was big in in two thousand six, seven, eight. And then nine. he just disappeared. Yeah, I don't know where he is. Well, I think he started doing a bunch of work in Africa, like charity stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I th- that's what I heard at least one time. And who knows with stuff you hear? This was before fake yeah. news, so it could mm-hmm. be true. I uh, I also I literally ran into Nelly in the Air Canada Lounge in Toronto. Uh, come on. On like March twenty sixth, or I've come back from Niagara. What's what's that like when you run into <clears throat> another famous person and you both like? Did you know him before that? Um, no, I I never I never met him, but I I always try to think if I actually do want to meet them or go talk with them. Mm-hmm. If I know them, then of course I'll go talk with yeah. them. But if I haven't met him before, I always try to think of what what do we have in common right and what could get their uh, their interest or their attention mm-hmm. so with him like I'd done some shows with Florida Georgia Line and I know all the guys that write with Florida Georgia Line's company and Tree Vibes Music and Big Loud mm-hmm. uh, Big Loud Entertainment in Nashville so I know that Nelly is real good buddies with Brian and Tyler so that was the first thing that I, that I did yeah. I said hey my name's Brett whatever yeah. I write with a bunch of guys from Tree Vibes mm-hmm. it's like Tree Vibes awesome you know <laughs> you the bandaid on and then uh, um, he he didn't, I don't think, but he had the do-rag on. Wow, you didn't rec- yeah, I'm surprised you recognized him without the band-aid. <laughs> yeah, but it's my band who recognized him. They were yeah. like, oh, that's Nelly, that's Nelly. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him. No, don't, man, don't go talk to him. And they're, they're all, they all just like melted into yeah. like little little kids isn't and, that weird like how that happens you meet someone yeah. famous and who you idolize or and your brain just shuts off yeah like why would i say that that was so yeah. dumb that happens to me and, and athletes yeah to be honest it'll never happen in music or like actors or stuff like that because mm-hmm. i think i, I kind of know their world but athletes like um i don't know i, I remember and, it, it, and we become buddies now but like 
I really think I screwed up meeting Taylor Hall, Nuge, and, <laughs> and, and Ebbs for the first time at the mm-hmm. CCMA Awards. Like, what I was happened? just an idiot. I'm like, just, oh man, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. so good to <laughs> You did you not guys. say that. You did I not did. say that. I said it was stupid. And yeah. good thing they were probably drunk, so they probably don't remember. Right. But now they're going to listen to this podcast. They're going to remember. But Hey, if you want to send mm-hmm. it to them, go ahead. Yeah. But that's, that's one thing I also think of. Like, if you're Connor McDavid right now or any yeah. uber famous athlete or, or musician or whatever, you're probably so used to people acting weird around you. That's yeah. gotta be a tough life. Like to have so like constantly people like acting weird, it's gotta make you feel a little self. Hundred percent. It's gotta it's gotta it would make everybody it makes me feel weird when people are weird because mm-hmm. just be normal because I'm normal. Right. And a lot of people just don't realize that or the biggest thing they don't expect to see you in a setting like the grocery store or the airport or yeah. walking up and down West Edmonton Mall. Like, mm-hmm. So it's very, very interesting. And my wife can pick it out quicker than I can. I'm so naive, I guess, and just living my life. And right. she'll literally like be like, oh, just just so you know, uh, somebody's coming up to you, red sweater, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how do you know this? Six like, o'clock, right yeah, behind you. Red sweater, six <laughs> o'clock. And, and yeah, it's people definitely get get weird but it is what it is so what tactics do you use to sort of diffuse that have you is there anything you figured out that just puts people at ease other than being your 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 charming self mm-hmm. like goddamn is it get yeah. tiring and exhausting to be as charming as you all the time it's very nice of you to say but i i i'm just try to be normal and and really just try to make it less awkward yeah so that when someone's like talking i'll always ask where they're from mm-hmm. what they're doing today and let them talk about themselves so that way it'll really diffuse it. So for example, like we were in uh, the Eaton Center in Toronto. We're walking out of, uh, I think Roots or Marks or something. I think we're coming out of Marks by the Canadian Tire. And people had seen me because I I put on on social media that it's like great to go out and mall walk and stuff like that. And I think said something about like being normal and blah, blah, blah. And here's my Starbucks coffee and blah, blah. And then all of a sudden- people tracked me. Oh, so at man. first Cecilia thought that's really weird and she she ducks out. She's yeah. like, um, I'm out. Uh, there's people at uh, six o'clock. I'll, uh, I'm gonna get a taxi and go back to the hotel. You're on your own. Like, uh, I'm gonna go to the food court and I'm gonna hide in the corner, call yeah. me when you're done. Cause she knows that I'll stay and I'll stay for half an hour with mm-hmm. people. And that's but, so important. Like that so. that makes the biggest impact on people. Yeah. I remember being with my dad at West Edmonton Mall. I must have been like six, seven, maybe eight. And it was after one of those Oilers practices that they used to have oh, at yeah. the mall. And we're packing up, ready to go, and there was just a mob of people. And he stayed, I don't know, I was a kid, so it felt like a lot longer probably, but it felt like an hour that he yeah. stayed and signed autographs and took pictures and all that stuff. And Well, I res- really respect that story and respect your dad for doing that because as athletes I you guys don't have to do that like he doesn't have to do that his job is not for public appeal his job is to put the puck in the net or if you're a goaltender to stop the puck like just, your job is just to be there whereas my job is all about public appearance mm-hmm. and making sure that I keep the fans happy whereas if you're playing music just keep your coach and your GM happy that's really all you need to do right so for him to do that and the athletes that do do that and have that amazing rapport with their fans Mm -hmm. is extremely important and very special because I don't think it's that common. That's an interesting way to put it. I've never really thought about it that way that they don't really have a a duty at least in in terms of their career to do that. But, you know, do you feel that they're they're role models that they they have some duty to society to at least be good people? Absolutely. I think there's... 
it's it's just being responsible mm-hmm. and I think it's just maturity and a lot of it is gratitude as well that sometimes in those situations yeah you want to get going you want to you're you know yeah you're busy you've got some place to be but what a grateful situation to mm-hmm. be in a, in a place where people do want to meet you want your autograph and want to share a story about how much they love you because of what you do in the ice or that song that you wrote right so with that said is there a bit of a responsibility to a degree, mm-hmm. but not as much with athletes, which is why, especially in a guy like Connor McDavid's situation, who is as nice as they get, you know what, I do feel bad for him in situations when you go out for dinner, or I've been out for dinner with him and some of the guys, and there's literally a lineup in the restaurant mm-hmm. of people waiting, and it's like, this is not the time or place, let let these guys be normal Mm -hmm. their job isn't necessarily to the fans their job is they're just great athletes and their job is to to do that right there's a time and place for it correct you know it's it's 11 30 p.m at at such and such restaurant it's yeah you know their job is done let let them unwind some people i think Mm -hmm. they just don't want to miss a chance right like not everyone comes across them every day and you know you get again your brain shuts off right Mm so there's it goes both ways i think for for the fans they need to understand these are human beings too and they've got you know families and lives and everything but for the athletes too i think they need to realize like the power and the impact they have on people and their ability to just totally shake someone's reality because they're so just infatuated with what they do as a career and then i think on the athlete side too it's and and even musicians and and actors for example like when you get such fame at such a young age and then you're not mature like you really don't start some people mature earlier right but you really don't start realizing and it's really when you realize how much you don't know that's that's when you start getting the most maturity but like at 18 who's got that so taylor hall or or, you know eberle or whoever coming in at 18 years old with millions of dollars it it must warp your reality and it must be really hard to stay grounded well for sure and i think that's why you have to have a great network of friends and family around Mm -hmm. you that your circle of friends and has actually grown so much now that you're an athlete and now that you're here and you've got the people from your sponsorship world from the team from high school from everything it's it's as big as as all of Rogers place but the friends that really matter mm-hmm. that are really in that inner circle or maybe as 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 small as your fist and and it's those those boys that can keep you grounded it's your parents or your aunts and uncles that are going to call your bullshit just because you're making six mil right doesn't mean anything my grandpa was a big advocate like that for me where there are a couple times where I genuinely just wanted to sleep in coming home on the farm mm-hmm. and he said if you came here to sleep you know <laughs> go back and find some find some hotel or he would say hey you ain't no country star on the farm you know so <laughs> I, love I love those stories but right. when it comes back to the responsibility yes an athlete has the opportunity to make things better or make the day for that young fan and stuff like that and most Canadians and most hockey players if not probably every hockey player actually does that yeah. which is very special but then you go to the pop stars and the rock stars in LA mm-hmm. and it just gets different because the fans are different there too right. I think fans in Edmonton for example do respect the Edmonton Oilers and and are and are good other than that bullshit that you saw in the news uh, right. heckling Connor and his pe- and family that was 
That was just stupid. Yeah. I hated that. I, I hated that it happened, but I'm happy that it came out. And some people said that, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my point of view is that it shows at least the, the rest of the public that these guys put up with a lot of shit on a regular basis, yeah. right? And while that That's might, a great point. That might have been an exaggerated version of it, yeah. but the fact of the matter is like every day, like I said before, people are acting weird and doing silly yeah. things around you. And so as a fan, if you understand that, you might think yeah. twice, right? You might be like, do I really want to be that guy? Do I really want to come across as that? Yes, I'm not heckling him, but maybe he mm-hmm. looks tired. It's 11.30 p.m. and we're at a restaurant. Yeah. And he's with Brett Kissel, who he might be a huge fan of and want that intimate yeah. one-on-one time, right? Yeah. So I think it goes both ways. For sure. No, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective. And, and obviously, you know, I think we're, where I'm coming from is seeing things on on both sides luckily as canadians is that there's this element of humbleness and and people are for the most part other than that that shitty example mm-hmm. but people are definitely a lot more polite here in canada than other places that i've been in the well, world. that's good to know so who's your inner circle who are your sort of go-to's that keep you grounded that call you on your shit uh my wife is number one mm-hmm. my grandparents big time uh, my big brother jameson he never he never has necessarily gotten into you know to say you know hold your horses and stuff like that but i know that i could count on him in that regard and then um i think uh jordan everly's wife lauren uh for sure as well as uh two of our really good friends uh troy and danielle huntley Mm -hmm. from edson um danielle is cecilia's best friend and thus troy's become one of my best friends right i got a cousin named carter he's uh super super close Uh, my cousin kylie i don't know there's probably like 10 people um, and then, you know, honestly, like my tour manager, Kevin, although he's an employee, mm-hmm. he's a guy who could give two shits about <laughs> who I am or who I think I am. Right. He's like, he's a great coach in that regard because sometimes he's even extra hard on me when he doesn't need to. <laughs> like, there's a moment to celebrate and he's the kind of guy who's like, well, you know, yeah, you better celebrate because it's probably going to be all gone in a couple of years. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it really keeps keeps a guy grounded. Yeah. I think that that's what they say about some of the best coaches is they know when to be hard and when to let off the gas a little yeah. bit, right? Like be extra hard on them after a good win, right? Yeah. But when things are bad, when you're on a three, four game losing streak, maybe pull off and be like, guys, just relax, get your head straight, yeah. do it. Is it the same? Like what's touring like for you? Is it just a gong show or is it relaxing? Like where does that spectrum fall? I've, I've been involved in both. My mm-hmm. very first tour, gong show. We didn't know where the bus was going to park. Sometimes we didn't book our hotels in advance. Um, some shows were sold out. Some shows tanked. Some were bars. Some were casinos. Some were theaters. It was just chaos. But you learn from that. Of course. And I would never trade that for anything. But then you have our last tour. It was so smooth with no challenges at all. Like, I've never had a tour that was almost as perfect as this one. Is that the one you just came off of the or the one before? Because... When we were just on because everybody knew their role. We had amazing staff in place. Mm-hmm. And when you do that many shows, we got into such a routine. We did, what, 54 concerts in 72 days. And it was like <clears throat> we had it down and it was such a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew what to do. Everybody knew when to give space. Everybody knew when to let loose. Everybody, it was it was perfect. So with that said... There was not a lot of coaching that needed to be done other than um, a couple reminders from myself as kind of the leader of the group or Kevin, our tour manager, to say, okay, guys, um, we're in the middle of 
11 shows in eight days. So we were doing two shows in a day sometimes, pulling a Garth. Yeah. And so we're like, I don't want anybody to drink if possible. Health <laughs> is, is extremely important. Everybody's getting their sleep. Like, we got to get through this. This is, we're going in the trenches here, boys. Yeah. Let's get, yeah. let's get, get your heads this. on straight. Yeah. <clears throat> and then there were some times where we'd call each other out. We knew we had three days off and we just did that. And we said, all right, boys, here's a bottle of fine whiskey. We're getting into it because we're going to celebrate this because nobody in Canadian country has just done what we just did. So it's time to celebrate. And a couple guys like, no, you know, I think I'm just going to call it a night. Screw that. You're partying. You're part of, you're part of the band. Yeah. You do as we say. And we all prop each other up. And then, uh, you know, so it's, I, I love, I love my group. What, what was the accomplishment that no Canadian artist has done? Well, the fact that the amount of shows that we did. Oh, so I see. That's... the biggest Canadian tour that was ever done uh, was, I think, 48 dates. And it was Paul Brandt, Small Towns, Big Dreams Tour. Mm -hmm. So we did 53, 54. And we got what's uh, an award from the Canadian Music Association and stuff like that mm -hmm. with it, you know, uh, and selling gold, essentially 50,000 tickets and, and everything and, and all these shows. So we are going a little extra crazy because we feel that somebody could probably beat our record because we're only four or five off of the previous record. Right. So we're going to probably add another 50 concerts for the fall oh. of this year. And every town and city we didn't play yeah. on the first time through, we're gonna come back and we're gonna do it. It's so, you're smashing this record. You've already we're gonna beat double it. it. We're gonna already double beat it because <laughs> no one will ever beat it. That's incredible. That's our goal. So, what's your what's your pre-concert routine? Do you have anything specific that that you do that maybe the fans don't typically see? Well, it's busy. It's most days are so busy. This mm -hmm. is our my schedule in especially in the major markets where there's radio. <clears throat> our bus will leave the previous venue at probably two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Drive three four hours to get to the next city, so it's six. I'm up with my girls who are on our bus. They come on tour with you? Oh yeah, all the time. shit, man. Yeah, which which is awesome, because if I was on the road that much, yeah. I mean, my daughters would have grown up with, you know, right. uh, on FaceTime, I would have, which is another reason why I truly feel for a, a lot of the athletes mm -hmm. who travel so you can't much. can't bring your wives and kids. You can't. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to establish, instead of precedence for for country music and for my band as well, that everybody was allowed to bring their spouse and their family. Wow. And we just coordinated different weeks where everybody came. Because we were on the road for 14, 15 weeks. It's unbelievable. So <clears throat> when our, our schedules, when we get to the venue at five, six in the morning, I'm up with the girls and we have a little breakfast. Um, I change, brush my teeth. I go and I do morning media. Mm -hmm. So I'll always hit and I don't have to, but I love hitting morning media because that's when most people listen to the radio. Right. So I hit the radio station by seven. We're usually on TV by eight. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do media till about 10 or 11. I will come back to the venue and that's where I'll have my morning meetings with Kevin, my tour manager, Becky, my assistant. Becky tells me who's coming to the show, who are the VIPs are, who the sponsors are, who are the important people because maybe six months ago I promised this kid that I would get him a ticket to my show in Regina. Right, so she tracks all that. So she tracks all that and says, by the way, little kid is coming, blah, blah, blah. By the way, uh, your grandparents have put four, uh, you know, four of their friends from such and such city. So we yeah. go through that list. Kevin tells me, we're making money on today's show. We're losing money on today's show. Um, and then we'll also do like the next couple shows. So, oh, by the way, Winnipeg tomorrow, you're sold out. So you might want to send a tweet out. Right. So it's all that. We do that for two hours. Now it's 1 p.m. Now I sound check. So I sound check with my band. We do that or kind of, and load in is going on while I'm meeting with my my, my staff. Mm -hmm. 
and sound check is usually from one till three. Then I go back into the bus, spend some time with my family from like three till four, four thirty. Then four thirty to five thirty is my time. That's where I get my head in the game. I usually don't talk. Yeah. A little bit of social media. I shower. I change. What do you I get do? Ready. Just relax, sit, chill. Relax, social I'll media. Go, do you read ever? Uh, I don't usually read, but I'll I'll I just kill time. Yeah. And sometimes I'll, I'll do it with. Uh, with another one of my band members last time, yeah. and I, I won't talk to save my voice, but usually we play crib. Yeah. <laughs> we just play cards. And so we sit, we play cards for about an hour, and I've already got myself ready because 5.30 or 6 o'clock, it's meet and greet. Mm-hmm. So now the sponsors come in, the VIPs come in, fans come in who, who want, I do meet and greet from about 6 to 7.30, mm-hmm. which is a long time because I spend time, I talk to everybody. Now... Uh, you might be exhausted by now, but now it's 8 o'clock, it's showtime. So I play the show from 8 till 10, then sometimes I'll do autographs, or we kind of debrief, I talk with the guys, this is what went well, this is what didn't go good, we do that from 10 to 11, mm-hmm. go back onto the bus, I watch Sex in the City with my <laughs> wife, and or we pick a different series, we finish The Office <laughs> on the tour, we finish Sex in the City on right. the tour, I do that till midnight, then I go to sleep, and we drive out at about one in the morning, we get to the next venue by four or five, I'm up with the girls, we start it again. Do it all over again. And you do that 53 days in a row. How many times do you wash your hands in a day? Because I'm just thinking all these people you're meeting, you yeah. can't afford to get sick on tour. Just Purell, Just man. Purell constantly. Just and it's, uh, and I've got a, a good like um, uh, essential oil diffuser, whatever that I put in my Okay. Hand, and I, I have a, a different one. For yeah. Some of it is, you know, a lot of it might be bullshit. I don't know if people actually believe in it. Placebo effect like is it. real, it's like, man. It's like some of it is for strength. Some of it is for immune system. Some of it is for immunity. Yeah. Some of it is for peace. Some of it. So I kind of think about what I want that day. Mm-hmm. And shit, I really need some strength. Or I really need to calm myself down. Yeah. It's a good so, way to focus and dial in. Because so yeah. often we just go through life not thinking, what do I need? Like, yeah. you know, And that's a good way to focus on yourself. And, get- I, and I meditate in that hour too. Interesting. Okay. It's only like five or ten minutes. Yeah. But I'll guided or eyes, just silent, just on my own. Yeah. Um, or sometimes I'll like, and some of these dressing rooms are dungy, man. But I'll lay on the floor <laughs> in the coffin position. I'll just put my arms over top, kind of cross my legs, close my eyes, deep breaths. Yeah. And sometimes I think about nothing, and I literally go. And my cousin Maddie, guitar player, said he was like, "I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out," and it just calms me down. Mm-hmm. Or I'll think about, this is all the shit you need to do. Make sure you get it organized. Yeah. Once you're done this thing, you're going to make a list. Mm-hmm. And you're going to yeah. take on the day. But so, the former is what meditating is really about, right? That flow of thoughts in and then out without yeah. like latching on to any particular one. Which I don't know how to properly meditate. Well, you've got it half people the time. Just tell me that that's what you got to do. But Has anyone ever walked in on you like this? and and All the time. And they just think, shit, we finally killed Brett. And He's had enough. Well, no. People <laughs> think that I die in, in airports all the time because I can sleep at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And I assume the coffin position <laughs> and I sleep in airports. Why like that? that? Uh, just so I can stay warm. And sometimes where I'll put my arms under my hands under my armpits. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And, this is funny. And I can though. get warm. But this, because I don't like uh, my arms dangling, and sometimes I don't have a lot of space. Yeah. So I got to go like this. Yeah. So I lately, Cecilia has taken some pictures. I've been sleeping <laughs> like that in my king size bed because I'm used to the bus <laughs> and I'm used to our bunks, and I'm still sleeping like this. And she's like, You're an idiot. She's got to start posting like vampire Brett photos. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's legit. And, uh, I always sleep with my mouth open, like a dead cow. Yeah. Like, I, I'm probably the ugliest sleeper. That makes you ripe for messing with by your bandmates, I'm sure. It's happened. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't know if we <coughs> get into that necessarily, but there are some great pranks that happen on the road. <laughs> I can only imagine what 
other bands do, but we, yeah, we don't hold, we don't hold back. That's good. And have you been with the same band for a long time now? Yeah. And I think that's what what's great is <clears throat> being with my group. As long as I've been, you just develop this camaraderie and a true brotherhood. Like mm-hmm. these guys are, are, are just they're family. They really are. Yeah. Um, one story I wanted to ask you about was uh, the Johnny Cash story. Yeah. Because I think that's so incredible, and I think it's just it's touching. It's sad. It's it's a lot of things. But walk us through that a little bit if you can. <clears throat> well, I I always loved Johnny Cash and mm-hmm. still do. So when June Carter passed away, that that was a a hard thing for me. That was his wife. And correct, yeah. When she passed away in May of two thousand three, and she was healthy, she wasn't supposed to die before Johnny. I think we were, a lot of people were expecting the Man in Black to pass away, but um, when she died, I wrote him a letter on yellow lined paper, and I put it in the mail. I don't remember what I wrote, but it was a couple pages probably. And I put it in the mail and I addressed it to the Johnny Cash Fan Club, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Having been to Nashville a couple times, I knew he lived in Hendersonville. I knew he lived on an old Hickory Lake or around that area. So when I saw his fan club on the back of a old record of my grandma and my grandpa's, I figured I had a shot because he lives in Hendersonville. This wasn't the Johnny Cash Fan Club, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him a letter, forgot all about it. That's it. In the meantime, between May and the fall over the course of that summer i recorded my first album at 12 years old at 12 right? and it was a cassette <laughs> called keeping it country was it by and design or was that the technology that was just the technology no. as i had some cds yeah. but everybody still drove around in our hometown with cassettes fair enough so, so we have to get cassettes. they want to play brett they gotta get a I mean. cassette player so we got cassettes um and on this Cassette were songs by Jim Reeves and obviously a lot of Johnny Cash. Tennessee Flat Top Box, Big River, a few other tracks. So I've recorded this album and now my mom and our family and myself are organizing a CD release party, and an album release party in Glendon, Alberta at the RCMP Hall. And my mom woke me up on Friday, September the 12th, 2003. She said, I've got some great news and I've got some sad news. Now, the great news already was that I didn't have to go to school that day <laughs> on this Friday because I had a big concert to prepare right. for. And she said, the good news is, is that your concert has sold out, which to put in perspective, we sold 500 tickets in a village of 300 people. Amazing. So as a doing something right. Great night for burglars in yeah. that town. But uh, <laughs> we we celebrated that. And I said, well, it's the bad news. And she said, well, the sad news is that Johnny Cash passed away this morning. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, like yeah. hearing like, like a grandparent had passed away. Because from the time I learned to play guitar at six, seven, I was playing Johnny Cash music right. for more than half my life. And he was my my everything. Mm-hmm. So of course I cried and, and I made this plan that night. I was gonna do a Johnny Cash medley. I was gonna wear all black, my black cowboy hat. And um, my dad came back from work. My dad also a school teacher. Um, came home from work and went straight to Glendon to the hall where we were putting on this concert, setting up chairs and planning our event. And he had me a, handed me a stack of mail. Inside I had, um, you know, uh, congratulatory cards from cousins and aunts and uncles and a big yellow envelope that I opened. And inside was a signed 8x10 from Johnny Cash. And it said, to Brett, Jesus first, Johnny Cash. And I received that on Friday, September 12, 2003, the day that he died. And I'll never, ever, ever forget that. 
And it's like, looking back now, I feel that like it's his hand was on me, on my shoulder that night. And that was a moment in time that showed me that what I'm doing is exactly what I'm meant to be doing. And Johnny Cash has kind of been there every step of the way to a degree, although I never met him. That's like his way of saying, I'm not going to meet you, but I'm yeah. here for you. I'm here with you. I think you. so. That's unbelievable. And you know, it's I, I do believe in, in heaven and I do believe that uh, I choose to believe that the souls or, you know, that my grandparents who passed away uh, years ago, you know, are obviously up there and have their hands on, on me and helping guide me uh, through the difficult times and celebrating and the great things that have happened. But I believe that a guy like Johnny Cash and June have become good friends with my grandpa. <laughs> probably playing cards, and my grandpa's probably drinking whiskey with the man in black right now. And your grandpa's calling him on his shit up there. It's exactly. Like, you ain't no country star, star up in up heaven. Up in heaven, exactly. <laughs> they're, and, they're, and it's just amazing that, that some people can go through life and just believe that when it's done, it's done. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But for me, I believe that when our, our physical life is done, that you just go and you, you meet with your family, that and those who've passed on before you. Yeah. So Johnny Cash is up there. I think he's waiting for me, my grandparents. Well, he's, hopefully he waits a long time. Yeah, uh. hopefully he waits a yeah, long time. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes on that is, is from a book called Legacy about the All Blacks, and it's, your legacy isn't what's left behind on your tombstone, it's what you weave into the lives and the being of the people that are left behind. And it's just incredible to think that like we can make such an impact on people, even if we've only met them once, a hundred times, yeah. and as they go on, like it's just, I don't know, it's just wild. I think that's a really, really great quote, and I think that to a degree, you've already embarked on that legacy project, which is this, these conversations that you're having with people from Edmonton and area, um, meeting them, telling their stories, because who's to say that someone wouldn't be inspired by by what you spoke about with Dr. Bob or with Hopefully. Jamie Soleil and and everything? So you're 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 creating yeah. that opportunity. So that's really cool. Or at least to quit that job that they hate and go try something else, like exactly. producing a movie or a documentary. Now, so when did you make your career change from? August 2016. Okay, and what were you doing before? I, I worked in hockey right out of university. I worked for the World Juniors. Okay. Paul Brand, I was there. Yeah, That's yeah. where this jersey is from. Nice. Um, and then I worked at a sport academy for a couple of years in Calgary, managing their programs. They had like seven hockey teams in a school of like 300 kids. Okay. It was insane. So I did all the facility rentals, all the all the gear, all their travel, their scheduling, all, the all that stuff. Man. So you were like a tour manager. I was a tour manager, okay. essentially. I just didn't get to go on tour and party because yeah. the kids were kids. <laughs> so gotcha. that would be weird. Um, and then I... I did that for two years and I looked at my boss, great guy, and I just thought, you know what, like, I don't even get to enjoy hockey doing this because I'm always behind the scenes, I'm in the bowels of the arena organizing volunteers or what have you. So if I'm going to be in Alberta, I may as well get in a bigger industry. So I jumped into, back to Edmonton, I worked at a transportation company. I don't know if you know Bruno Muller, Care yeah, Transport. So I worked for Bruno's company for two years. Again, I got to that two-year mark and just sort of thought to myself, this isn't for me for the rest of my life. I need something different. Yeah. So I quit that cold turkey and then uh, just took a couple months, worked, bartended, managed part-time, and talked to a lot of people in different industries. And I think that is also part of the inception of this podcast because it's the first time I started going out and having real conversations yeah. with people. And so <clears throat> I got a call one day from a friend of mine who's a director. Um, he owns Cortez and Have Mercy and, okay. um, and Holy Roller. And he said, I know you're looking for a new career. Do you want to get into producing? Do you want to get in the film business? And I thought, 
yeah, okay, who doesn't? Like, that yeah, sounds yeah. cool, but what am I going to do, right? He goes, don't you, you've already got all the skills for it. You know, this. I've got a job for the Oilers. I need to produce her. Little thank you fans video. Do you remember last year the video that played before the opening? Like that big epic one yes. that showed Edmonton mm -hmm. that was directed by Mike Maxis? So mine was the little one that showed right before that. It was a thank you fans one. It was thank you for being with us through all the hard times, yeah. the good times, the bad, etc. So I produced that. It worked well. I used that to get a job in Calgary. Worked down there for three months on a TV show. Real campy, sort of over-the-top um, uh, mystery thriller. It was the real stories behind events that inspired movies. So Goodfellas, um, Amityville Horror, yeah. The Exorcist. It was about what actually inspired those movies. But it was like, and then you'll never guess what happened next. Cut to commercial. So I did that as a production manager, came back mm -hmm. to Edmonton when that show was wrapped, worked on Mike's feature film that shot here last yeah. year, three and a half million dollar budget, Pup Puppy Love, which is just finally wrapped post-production, which is exciting, so we'll get to see. Um, and then I got on with Adam Scorgi for um, for making Coco, the Grand Fear yeah. story, which we're very excited about. We're gonna premiere it in September, 2018. It's the first time I've announced that. That's awesome. So I wanna give this to you, little Grant Fear hey. gift. Had it signed. I don't think that's his real signature, well, but I'm gonna it. I'm gonna get it signed for you. Well, that's really kind. And then also, thank you very much. Have you seen Ice Guardians yet? Um, no, but I I'd love to. If, if you still have a DVD player, which I do, that's for you. I love this. So that that came out two years ago, and that was is widely regarded as as the best hockey documentary of all time. Like it's it's driven it's driven enforcers to tears, both on screen and people watching it. Well, I think it's really special that um, that you're able to to get uh, Dave Semenko. Uh, mm -hmm. He's obviously one of the one of the great guardians. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Well, Adam, our producer, he he said Semenko is just his favorite he, they didn't plan for him to have so much screen time in ice guardians yeah but his interview was just so good and his story is so compelling and yeah. he's so authentic that he took up more time in the in the film and oh, our you know our biggest regret it's not really regret but our the biggest shame about the grant fear story is that we weren't able to get um dave, dave for it yeah. yeah so well with all that said obviously his his legacy will will live on and that's the thing obviously at his service as is sure you recall he was so well respected mm -hmm. for mostly the roles that he played off the ice mm -hmm. and and the friendships that he built and stuff like that and that's that's where a legacy is woven into the fabric of people that Left behind. Left behind. I love it. So I can't wait to watch this. Thank you. I will watch that. At I'll his, watch it tonight, to be honest. Your performance at his memorial was just stunning, by the way. I remember that. And the uh, the story you told about him. Do you yeah, remember that? I do. Can you tell that again? Because that well, was incredible. It's kind of a, a, a two-part thing. Earlier in the night, my aunt was was there as, as, as my guest. Mm. And... Um, uh, she, everybody was talking about how Dave had protected everyone on the ice and especially protected Gretz. Yeah. And I felt really proud of myself because I protected Dave Semenko from <laughs> my family members because Wayne was there in the chairman's, but my auntie wanted to meet Dave so bad because Dave was her one, was her hall pass. So, <laughs> and knowing this, I just diffused the situation and just kept my auntie away from Dave Semenko and from the awkwardness because she would have been that fan that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. So I felt proud that I was a protector for Dave. But then I did my anthem and that was the night that the 
Mike quit. Right. One of the first guys I see as I step back off the ice, and it's just, it just was this moment that I, I don't even rem- I don't remember how I felt after it, but everybody remembers the story of the yeah. Mike quitting and the entire uh, entire uh, you know audience and everybody there singing uh, the Star Spangled Banner. And Dave just looked at me and he laughed and he says, "Isn't that funny?" He says, "The song you don't sing is the one people like the best." <laughs> Like, yeah. That was his wit, though. Was, he was so funny. That's I, incredible to think yeah. of it that fast. Mm-hmm. Oh, and in in the midst of an event that was really monumentous. Like yeah. I remember, I was not that far from you. I was section one hundred one, row seventeen, and I just couldn't believe it. Like it was the playoff atmosphere and yeah. and and the you know the fan passion and all of that. It was just that was one of those ones that sticks with you. Oh, hundred percent. What was going fans? through your head? Um, oh shit, oh shit, oh yeah. shit, oh shit. <laughs> Not the I, lyrics. No, because I look at my, and, and here's the thing, people don't understand is that the TV feed was working, but it just wasn't working in Roger's place. So live in the arena wasn't working, and obviously you can attest to that. Mm-hmm. But I look at my production manager, Joel Bird from Edmonton, and that's why we have sound checks. We sound checked earlier in the day, 4.30 p.m., like we did every day. I look at him. And it's the scariest thing because this is what he does. Puts his hands up, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he goes and he mouths like, I don't fucking know. What do you want? I, I don't know, man. Figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if you don't know, you can't save me, then what do I do? So I just started to conduct. Right. And that's all I remember is putting my fingers up because I started to hear people sing already. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give them an opportunity. Yes, it's okay. Please save me. Maybe, I don't know what was going through my head, but I just started to wave my fingers and conduct. Yeah. And then you got 19,500 people singing another country's anthem mm-hmm. so well. That, that was, was incredible. It was. Yeah. The no, goosebump moment. That was something special. And once once it picked up, you probably like relaxed a little yeah. bit. And you're like, well, my job here is done. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It was, um, it was just really cool to, to walk off the ice and not think that it anything of it until mm-hmm. again social media just blew up and right. my twitter feed and everybody who had ever had my number in the last 15 years is now texting me saying i saw it great job that's crazy and there were a lot of people that you know that were like it was staged blah blah, oh, blah yeah, social media and stuff like that it's like it, we can't think about that and you never stage an anthem right. ever yeah never ever ever toy with an anthem because it has the risk of going wrong mm-hmm. and you never mess with the national anthem yeah. so that's why i was but there's there's dave <laughs> isn't it funny brett song song you don't sing is the one that people like the best how does he even think of that at that mm-hmm. point good for him well brett i know you got to run uh, pretty soon here so we'll shut her down um i just want to ask you one last thing um and it's it's how how your view on on your career and and your approach to songwriting and and what's important in life has shifted over the last sort of what would it be 15 years of your career yeah. since 12 years old in that first album to now well i think i've just learned a lot of lessons that you know things like patience things like hard work perseverance um, bob stedward was a guy who said you know the recipe for success is talent commitment, sacrifice, and attitude. So I have felt that my talent has been there, but every now and then I waver on my commitment, whether or not I truly am committed to this thing in this career. 
And then it goes to sacrifice and saying, what am I willing to sacrifice? And certain things I wasn't willing to sacrifice my family, which is my, why my family came along. Mm -hmm. And you learn the lessons over the course of 15 years and watching your heroes and what they sacrificed in order to chase their dreams. And sometimes it was their marriage. Sometimes it was family or things. I'm willing to sacrifice anniversaries and hell, I'd take a gig on Christmas Day. I really would. <laughs> yeah. But it's other moments that I wouldn't be willing to sacrifice. So mm -hmm. I've had to learn that about myself and then always adjust my attitude, not during the victories, but during the moments when you lose. Not just awards, but when your show doesn't sell out or one of your competitors is doing way better than you, where you think you have a song that's gonna go number one and it doesn't. It's that attitude that I think is gonna, what is gonna take me the furthest. Um, is to either show appreciation or this is the time to really dig down deep and say, yeah, you know, had you worked harder, had you not been an idiot, had you not been stupid or whatever, you would have had that success. So, you know, saddle up and, and get back on cowboy kind of thing. So right. I've learned those lessons over the course of 15 years. And I'm not saying the previous generation of Brett Kissel didn't matter, but where it is now is the stakes are higher. These are real shows real money yeah real fans mm -hmm. where you know this is this is a career that's going to set us up for the rest of our lives so the lessons that i've learned have been those four things i mentioned but also adding patience in there and and uh i really look forward to having conversations with younger artists and trying to pass on that knowledge too so that we can help uh develop the next generation right. too that switch of like taking from life and then eventually you just start wanting to give yeah, back a little bit more for sure that's awesome and lastly what's what's left for you like what do you want to accomplish still what are the big things well the big things is to is to take my career outside of canada mm -hmm. and really put a full court press on in the united states and the rest of the world so you're not a canadian country <clears throat> star you're a country star correct yeah and you know what Winning awards and doing things that we've done in Canada has been so special and I don't think anybody at any time would ever be able to say that, and I want to make sure that they'd never say this, that I didn't give time, effort, energy, respect and love to my home country. Mm -hmm. But now it's time to do things in Nashville on a giant scale. And I've been able to do things on a small scale, I've been able to play in many of many states and tour a lot in America, but now it's time to really make that a gigantic priority. Amazing. So hopefully the next time we have a conversation, it's, we'll see whether or not- <laughs> I'll have to come to you because you're gonna be far, far too busy. No, you've got my number and I, I can't wait for, for the next one. So. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for the time. It's my meant pleasure. a lot and uh, I know people are gonna love this one. Well, I hope they do enjoy it. All right, see you later. Podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. An absolute blast chatting with Brett. Uh, what an interesting, humble, and, and genuine down-to-earth guy. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on what you thought of the episode and who you'd like to see on next time. Take care now. <laughs>